This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show. Fauci the flip-flopper. This guy is absolutely unbelievable. He gets it wrong over and over, and in fact, he gets what feels like uh, promoted in the process because the Biden administration kept him around. I'm going to pull apart the nonsense today. I'm going to make sure we all understand just what has really happened here to this country because of the power mad lockdowners. And we can never allow this to happen again. I'll get into all of that. But I'm somebody who likes things to be as convenient as they possibly can because I'm very busy. I know you are, too. And I recently had this experience where I got a delivery in New York City and it was just the, it was the wrong thing. They sent me the wrong uh, the wrong package. And I went to the company directly and I was having a text exchange in seconds and we got it all fixed. I didn't have to wait on customer service hold. I didn't have to speak to somebody. What's your reference number? What's your reference number? Five times. No, just texting. Bam, done, fixed. That's how Podium works. It's a messaging platform to power your business. I absolutely love it. It helps you reach customers wherever they are. Business messaging with Podium helps you gain reviews, collect payments, communicate with customers, and capture leads, all from a single inbox. It's so convenient and straightforward. It also helps you adapt to changing customer expectations because when I can handle an issue with a business via text message quickly, and it's all right there in front of me, I don't have to wait on hold, I don't have to talk to somebody, it's so much easier, and then I want to use that business again. So for your business, you need Podium. Get this set up. It's so easy. Once you start, you'll realize, oh, my gosh, this is a game changer. It'll Your whole customer experience will be boosted tremendously by this, and it's just going to help your sales and overall profits. Find out how Podium can help your business reach more customers with a real-time chat service. It's just going to be a game changer for you, okay? Get started free. That's right. Get started free today at podium.com slash buck. For all the business owners out there, try this service. You will love it. Podium.com slash buck. That's P-O-D-I-U-M dot com slash buck. Well, I said it right at the beginning. That's where it came from. I think it was obvious to smart people that's where it came from. I have no doubt about it. I had no doubt about it. Uh, I was criticized by the press because China has a lot of people taken care of. They took care of Hunter. They took care of Joe. They took care of everybody, didn't they? And people didn't want to say China. Uh, usually they blame it on Russia. It's always Russia, Russia, Russia. But I said right at the beginning it came out of Wuhan. And that's where all the deaths were. Also, by the way, when we first heard about this, there were body bags, dead people laying all over Wuhan province. And that's where it happened to be located. So to me, it was very obvious. I said it very strongly and I was criticized. And now people are agreeing with me. So that's okay. He was right, folks. Trump was right on the Wuhan coronavirus outbreak and pandemic. And the haters, the doubters, the anti-Trumpers were wrong. Yet another one you have to add the list. And not only was Trump right about this, despite all the criticism. And but let me say, many people were right about. I I always thought the lab theory was more credible. It 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 just made more sense from the very beginning. If it came from bats at a at a, a wet market. Why weren't they all? Why weren't all the cases traced to the wet market? 
And and if it came from bats in nature, well, this didn't happen where the bats live, generally speaking, 600 miles away. It just didn't add up. But you're concentrating bat viruses in a lab. A bunch of lab technicians and researchers get sick with a bat a bat based virus. This seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? You know, who it's not straightforward to people that don't really care about the truth, but just want to use this for political advantage and with that we turn to the biden administration joe biden and all the people around him supposed to be so smart oh they believe the science that's what they want you to think they believe the science well here's what we've since found out joe biden's team shut down a state department investigation into the Wuhan laboratory as a source of the COVID-19 outbreak, this is according to the Daily Mail, the existence of the investigation run primarily out of the State Department's Arms Control and Verification Bureau had not previously been known, nor had the Biden administration's actions. The revelations will lead to uncomfortable, you don't say, allegations for Biden that his team politicized the public health effort and harmed the nation by shutting down a useful inquiry begun by his predecessor. The decision to terminate the inquiry was made after Biden officials were briefed on the team's draft findings in February and March of this year, according to a State Department spokesperson. Investigation was shut down because the Biden team had doubts about the legitimacy of the findings. Those involved have told journalists that the questioning of their evidence was unfair and unwarranted and they had been objective oh so this is the biden team coming in the the flax for mr magoo biden coming in and saying no 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 shut down that investigation into the wuhan institute of virology as the basis for the whole pandemic i mean as the place where the outbreak started shut it down oh because the findings were being so politicized if that were true why didn't we know about this if that were the case why don't they make the findings public let's let the people decide who was politicizing this Folks, the mentality that the Democrats have, these scorched earth, anything for power, principles not allowed to stand in the way mentality, isn't applicable to just certain hot button topics. This is not something that occurs occasionally on the left. This is their approach to everything. And we all know that it was very politicized that Donald Trump was the guy saying, hold on a second, this virus came from China. This is because of what the country that he was willing to confront in a way that other presidents before him had not. Uh, This is because of what China's recklessness and deception led to. He keeps saying this, and sure enough, that meant that Democrats had to push in the opposite direction. That meant that Democrats had to take the position, insisted that they must take the position that this was not true. Oh, okay. I, th- I thought on something like this when it comes to a pandemic that's killed millions of people around the world and 
infected hundreds of millions, perhaps even it'll end up being a few billion people getting infected with this. We'll never really we'll never know the full number. But when you look at asymptomatic cases and transmission all over the world, it's certainly hundreds of millions of cases. Uh, With that as the situation, couldn't we expect that partisanship wouldn't rule the day? Not with Democrats. Oh, no. The Biden team shut this down. Just imagine for a second that the Trump administration came into office during a pandemic or, or even even make it simpler. Imagine Trump won a second term and it came out that he shut down an investigation into the origins of covid-19 because some of his political appointees didn't really like what the findings were. That would be the top news story all across the country and you'd have libs shrieking he didn't follow the science they'd be completely losing their minds fauci would be on tv you know more than he already is if that's even humanly possible you know we followed a science and it was troubling that the data was not allowed to direct the observation of the you know that's what we would be hearing but because the biden team did it it's yeah you know just no big deal Oh, speaking of the Fouch, he's wrong again. He's wrong again. How many times does this guy get to be incorrect? How many times does he get to say something that he has to change his tune on a week later, a month later? Again, in the Daily Mail, quote, Fauci defended the United States modest and very respectable, very, very respectable. This is the most respectable funding of the Wuhan laboratory, which is now at the center of speculation as a possible source of the COVID-19 virus. Fauci appeared before a congressional buddy, a budget committee on Tuesday, defended allocating $600,000 to a group called EcoHealth Alliance which then paid the Wuhan Institute of Virology to study the risk that bat coronaviruses could infect humans. Under the terms of the funding, the money could not be spent on gain-of-function research, a controversial practice which explores how viruses mutate and become more transmissible or more dangerous, end quote. Oh, isn't that so cute? I'm sure the Chinese Institute was really worried about what kind of research they were going to do with the money that taxpayers from the U.S. were sending them. I'm sure we could trust them on that because when when you're talking about transparency, truth, and accountability, government-backed institutions in China, top of the list, baby. Yeah, that's right. The gold standard of honesty. Sure. Sure they are. Yeah, this is all looking like the people who were right from the beginning, now we're in a position to say, not only were we right about the Wuhan coronavirus origins, but also we've been right about lockdowns, about masks, about so much here. And, oh, one more thing before I, I get to more, uh, more in-depth analysis of the, of the latest Fauci flip-flop. I just read, read a story today um, about how there is a new study. They looked at 75 people. So it's not a large study, but a new study. And it said that those who have uh, people even who had low levels 
of a coronavirus and COVID-19 infection had antibodies for at least, at least eight months. And as long as 11 months, detectable antibodies. Now, that doesn't even cover T-cell immunity, but detectable antibodies, they believe it's not just about the blood, but in fact, antibodies that emerge from the bone marrow. Now, I bring this up because they're they're once again telling everybody, including the recovered, go get the shot, go get the shot. It's so much better. And I've been telling you, they don't know that. They don't know. And there's something called anamnestic immune response, which often happens from recovery from natural infection. Anamnestic immune response uh, would cover things like you know, if you if you get a virus once that you later on come into contact with many years later, your body can actually still deal with it at an elevated level, conferring lifelong immunity in many cases. Is there an anamnestic response for COVID-19? The answer, they don't know. But just as what they've done with the investigation into the origins of COVID-19, just as what they've done on on masking and everything else, They don't have answers. They don't have the data to prove what they say they can. And so their response is shut up and do what you're told. I say enough of that. We uh, had a big scare with SARS-CoV-1 back in 2002, 2003, where that particular virus unquestionably went from a bat to an intermediate host to start an epidemic and a pandemic that resulted in 8,000 cases and close to 800 deaths. It would have been almost a a dereliction of our duty if we didn't study this. And the only way you can study these things is you've got to go where the action is. So I often say somewhat tongue in cheek, you don't want to study bats in Fairfax County, Virginia, to find out what the animal human interface is that might lead to a jumping of species. So we had a modest collaboration with very respectable Chinese Uh, uh, scientists who are world experts on coronavirus. And we did that through a sub-grant from a larger grant to EcoHealth. The sub-grant was about $600,000 over a period of five years. So it was a modest amount. And the purpose of it was to study the animal-human interface, to do surveillance, and to determine if these bad viruses were even capable of transiting infection to humans. That's a very long way of the Fouch saying that, yes, in fact, the U.S. government, through a subgrant, did fund research on bat viruses in Wuhan, China. Do you recall how indignant he was? How dare you? He was basically saying to Senator Rand Paul on this one. Do you recall how outraged the Fouch was over that? And now here he is. You know, you don't want to study bats in Fairfax, Virginia. You want to do it in Wuhan. Hmm. Really? So there was research going on there that was funded by U.S. taxpayer dollars. That's not a conspiracy theory. That's not something that was just dreamed up on some blog somewhere. And we're supposed to believe that Fauci still has credibility on any of these issues? Why should anyone listen to this clown at all anymore? That's my my honest question for you. Why should anyone, in fact, why should he keep his job? 
Senator Rand Paul, once again, as he has done many times here, thank heavens we have somebody in the Senate who loves liberty, believes in the Constitution, and has an MD to challenge the little lab coat tyrant Fauci. Here's Rand Paul on how this never should have happened. It absolutely should not have occurred. And play clip two. We may never know whether the pandemic arose from the lab in Wuhan, but we do know that so far no intermediate animal host has been discovered. Thousands of animals at the wet market have been looked at. None of them have carried COVID-19. We've tried to infect COVID-19 into bats. It doesn't grow well in bats. It seems most adapted and suitable for humans. We may not know whether this ever arose out of a Wuhan lab, but I think gain-of-function research, where we take a deadly virus, sometimes much more deadly than COVID, and then we increase its transmissibility to mammals is wrong. In 2014, NIH stopped all of this research. I'm using the same definition to say any gain-of-function research should not be funded in China with U.S. taxpayer dollars, and I recommend a yes vote. Thank you. Any problem with that? Anyone want to take the opposite point of view, given what we've just gone through around the world and here at home in America? Anybody think that that's a strange thing for Senator Rand Paul to be suggesting at this point? He has been right. He was right on the theatrics of Fauci wearing masks. And Fauci, oh, no, it is not, sir. It is the science. It's the science because there could be droplets coming out of my mouth. And, and those droplets are being stuck in the mask. Yeah, sure. It's worked so well, hasn't it? It just shut down the virus all across the country, all the mask wearing we were doing. Pure idiocy here. People are still wearing masks. In my, in my gym, as of yesterday, 10 people in the gym in New York City, I'm the only one not wearing a mask. And I'm proud to say that somebody has taken down the you must wear a mask signs in there. I don't know who it is. There's some anti-mask bandit who has been pulling down. I don't know. I mean, maybe I know, but I don't know. Can neither confirm nor deny that someone is pulling down the mask signs in the gym in my apartment building, which, you know, is a pretty big gym, actually, because it's a large building. And those uh, those folks who go in, they they still mask up. They're on the treadmill, dry heaving into their you know mask on their face. Because they think I'm big. I'm taking the virus seriously because I'm listening to Fauci. I listen to Fauci. Fauci will save us. These people have, it's a mental illness. They've got a real problem. I don't know if you want to say it's pandemic PTSD or it's Fauci-induced anxiety disorder, but they got an issue. These people are vaccinated too, folks. I, I, I can tell you that right now. And they're still freaked out about it, but we have been lied to so much if anything what what this has been a, a massive exercise in is a reminder for everybody that credentialing uh, or credentialed experts who make policy do not necessarily make good policy and when they tell you shut up i have a degree in this you should always always question them right away what, what do you mean okay so why does that mean that you know more about this issue? Why does that mean that you're making a better judgment call about this issue? That's where it really all falls apart. But Fauci has come out and said that they, they were, there was a U.S. grant and it was going to gain a function research, or I'm sorry, it was going to bat research. Whether there was gain of function going on or not, 
Fauci does not know. So who was closer to the truth this whole time? People saying that money was going, U.S. taxpayer dollars were being funneled to the Wuhan lab for gain of function research or people who were saying that's crazy. This came from bats that live in caves 600 miles away from Wuhan and there's no intermediary species they can really find that shows where the leap occurred and there are people that had nothing to do with the Wuhan wet market who were coming down with this virus in considerable numbers before the major outbreak. Shut up and listen to Fauci. I mean, this is what it turned into. We have really been separated, I mean, human beings around the world, but particularly here in America, into those who think for themselves and those who must be a part of the herd. The massive sheep situation, that's what has happened all over the world. You know what I'm really looking forward to tonight? Taking a beautiful filet, right? I'm a big filet mignon guy, right out of my fridge and searing it perfectly and just cutting into it, looking at the juiciness, the, the buttery taste that I know will come. And I'm excited because it's the best filet I've ever made at home because I'm using produce that is top quality. Moink, baby. You gotta try moink meat. This is delicious, grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, delivered directly to your door. Right, Their animals are raised outdoors, their fish swim wild in the ocean, and moink meat is free of antibiotics, hormones, sugar, and all the other stuff that junk you'll find in prepackaged meats. You want this in your freezer. I'm telling you, I've got a whole freezer full of moink right now. The ribeyes are incredible. The chicken is absolutely just delicious. Um, I've got lamb chops that I'm going to be using this weekend, searing them, cooking them myself. This is the best meat delivery service anywhere, and I love it. It's really top-quality stuff. You know that I'm big into cooking proteins, big into cooking meats. All you have to do to get this delivered to you right now, to join the Moink movement, is go to moinkbox.com slash buck. That's M-O-I-N-K box, moinkbox.com slash buck. And listeners to this show get free bacon for a year. I've actually got to get another Moink box sent to me because I've already run through my bacon. I opened it. I ate it all in a week by myself. That's how good it is. But you'll get free bacon for a year. M-O-I-N-K box.com slash buck. That's moinkbox.com slash buck. Go there right now and get the best grass-fed farm and pasture-raised beef, chicken, pork possible delivered right to your door. Moinkbox.com slash buck. Qualified immunity is an, an unjust doctrine that has been codified in statute after statute that has allowed for law enforcement to operate with callous disregard of black and brown bodies, with reckless impunity uh, for our lives without any consequences. You know, George Floyd was brutally murdered. Why did that happen? It happened because um, we have to affirm the fact that black lives matter because our lives have not mattered. They have not been valued. Uh, there was no humanity, no grace extended or afforded to him. Uh, black folks have been dehumanized and consequently have been brutalized, uh, surveyed, profiled, murdered, lynched. So what will be the deterrent to that? We have much work to do beyond just one bill. This is the kind of anti-cop rhetoric and, and the 
dishonesty that is central to the BLM movement, which has resulted in disaster for this country. I want everyone to be clear on this. I don't want there to be any question. When you look at the data, you look at the timeline of the last 12 months in America, BLM has resulted in a massive spike in homicides and shootings across America. More people are dead. More families are shattered because of the narrative that is being pushed here by people like Congresswoman Presley. Qualified immunity, for example. Let's just take a look at qualified immunity, okay? They, they say it is a, a racist doctrine on the left. Well, no, it's actually a very straightforward doctrine established back in 1967 by the Supreme Court, and there are many statutes that codify it. It protects state and local officials, including police officers, from personal liability unless they have violated clearly established statutory uh, or constitutional rights. So what this means, it's very straightforward, but the left relies on ignorance and emotion, especially around the racist cops lie. Our cops are not racist. I'm sick of this crap. Our cops are not racist. You know it, I know it. Thanks to our cops, we live in a very large and very complicated country where people mostly in their day-to-day are doing really well and safe. And, you know, it's not the purge. So thank you for that. But the lies continue anyway. Uh, Qualified immunity. Let's take a look at this for a moment. If you got rid of qualified immunity, what it would mean is that a person, I get arrested by a cop, I can sue the cop personally in court and say that he was, uh, you know, that, that he was rough with me, that he violated my rights in some way. And he's got to go defend himself in court personally. And if he were to lose, he loses his house. He loses his, his pension. You know, he loses his bank account. What qualified immunity does is it says, hold on a second. You can't even drag a cop into court personally if he's acting within good faith in his job. Now, if a cop pulls me out of a car for no reason and handcuffs me and then you know breaks my kneecap with his nightstick for fun and it's all on video and he clearly violated my rights in this process, qualified immunity can be waived by the department and it often is. But you see, I can't do what the left wants to be able to do, which is if nothing has, uh, there's no violation of my rights, drag a cop into court and see what I can get. Think of all the ambulance chasing lawyers that would want to take this one up. The way that they would try to exploit the cries of racism in police to try to try to, you know, get a jury to go along with, oh, well, even if the cop seemed like he was doing a good doing his job lawfully and within the scope of, of his authority, acting in good faith. We're going to we're going to sue him anyway. Maybe the jury will decide, you know, this is a makeup call. You'll start getting all these makeup call juries. Well, they'll say, well, this cop didn't do so. But there's listen to what Ayanna Presley says in Congress. All the racism, all the evil from law enforcement. This is, is so divisive and destructive And it's actually not reflective of what 
the American people overwhelmingly believe about their cops and about each other. America is not a country that is the shining example of racism. America is a country where it's a very diverse country, more so than any other country even close to its size in the world. America is a very diverse country where we treat each other with respect and dignity overwhelmingly, and we see each other as Americans. And instead of celebrating that greatness, instead of celebrating where we are as a country, the left just seeks to exaggerate our faults and tear us down. You know, if you've ever been in, in, a, in a relationship, a personal relationship, where somebody exaggerates the faults of the other person, doesn't look at the whole reality of it, but looks at just small things, this can, this can manifest through nagging. This can manifest through being hypercritical. It, you'll destroy the relationship. Right? You have to remember, if somebody, you know, if your wife is, is kind and loyal and honest and, and, you know, family first, but all you do is say, you know, honey, you know, your food, you're, you're really, your cooking really isn't that good. You know, and, and your cooking actually represents your lack of interest in this relationship. In fact, the, the, because you're not a better cook, I can't believe that you even take this relationship seriously. You can destroy anything by exaggerating imperfection, by lacking context, by lacking proportionality to destroy any relationship, destroy any business arrangement, anything. So this is and this is central, by the way, to the whole Marxist ethos which is to look at inequality in human existence and pretend that it is the result of nothing but systemic uh, systemic forces of oppression. Not luck, not life is unfair, but we do the best we can and we have laws that are supposed to treat people and seek to treat people equally, and we are not all equal in in gifts, talents, abilities, work ethic. We're not. And so there's not going to be equal outcomes. But instead of that perspective, you see, what the left provides is the exaggeration of a deficiency and really a maniacal fixation on deficiency to create the crack in the dam to bring the whole thing down. That's what they're doing. This is how Marxists use class warfare and envy in, a, in the more traditional context of Marxism. And it's how right now you're seeing racial division used to try to bring society down. It is so reckless. It is so disgraceful. But it is a central theme of Democrats because, unfortunately, it works. It's a powerful tool. We all have envy. We all have insecurities, resentments, everyone. But do we control it? Do we have perspective on it? Are we honest about our own roles in what frustrates us in life? Or do we blame the system? Do we blame the other for all the ways in which our lives are not quite what we think we want them to be? And as you know, oftentimes when you get things in life that you think you really want, you find out, you know, I just wish I'd spent more time with my kids or my grandkids or my brothers, or my sisters, or whomever, my best friends. I wish I had focused more on that. You know, so much of, I think, what drives 
the leftist mindset as well, is an obsession with the superficial. Yes, of course, in the context of the racial Marxism that we see, they're obsessed with skin color. Leftists are obsessed with it. But also with this idea that if only material circumstances changed a little bit for people. You know, if, 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 if people, if, if student loan debt was erased, let's say, you know, this is a big push by AOC. Oh, it would be life-changing for these people. And I'm not saying there aren't things you can do that really help people and that, you know, being out of debt isn't a good thing. And all. But if you're really looking at the macro perspective, if you're looking at what matters in life, I think the left just has the wrong focus. I think the left has replaced God and a sense of the everlasting and our purpose on this earth with a devotion to the state and state authority and state power. And this has played out in, in other societies. This is not some crazy dream I've come up with. This is what you have in, uh, in the Soviet Union before it collapsed, and to some degree still in Russia today. This is what you have in China today. The obsession with power and the elevation of material and superficial things over what is really our purpose. In what way do we matter in our day to day? How does the left answer those questions? What, by making sure that the state pays for gender affirmation surgery? That's really how we know that we've become a country with, with actual worth? That's how we know we've become a country where people have meaning in their day to day lives? Really? Just pick an issue. Oh, where a woman has a right to terminate her pregnancy at any point over the course of nine months of a pregnancy. Any point for any reason. That's that's how we affirm. That's how we realize. That we have purpose as human beings. Now, I think the left, unfortunately, isn't just a corruption of politics. It's, it's a corruption of the soul. And you see this with much of the, the rhetoric and the approach of the BLM movement. They are maligning law enforcement. They are maligning those who are making sacrifices day in and day out, who are taking risks, who are carrying a burden for the rest of society, and they do so to pander. They do so to fan the, the flames of resentment, to divide society. You know, what, what is the left's answer? In what way do they want to build? Take more money from people, spend more money. But how do they build us as human beings, as a nation, as Americans? Division. Always division. Always anger. And it's just frustrating to see this as a person who wishes the best for this country. I mean, here, here's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. This was on ABC News uh, last night, a tweet from ABC News's official account. Former President Barack Obama, since George Floyd's death, quote, hundreds more Americans have died in encounters with police, parents, sons, daughters, friends taken from us far too soon, end quote. Oh, he said, but the last year has also given us reasons to hope. OK, so that's the full quote. Uh, all right. Are there hundreds of murders by police that have occurred that we don't know about? Why is the former president, you know, taking special time to mourn people who were killed by law enforcement when let's live in reality? A vast majority of those people were killed in justified shootings, meaning they were trying to kill somebody or in the act of committing a violent felony. 
often against a police officer, but sometimes against just innocent bystanders. Why is Barack Obama focusing on this? Because you have to dig into it a little bit. Otherwise, you just hear, yeah, cops killed hundreds of more uh, more people. They're terrible. Cops are so racist. Barack Obama, gross and reckless and misleading pandering, which is really an Obama specialty. If he thinks that police have committed hundreds of unpunished murders in the last year, he should say so instead of being an intellectual coward. That's part of why we want a uh, bipartisan bill uh, that is supported by uh, most Americans in this country. This country should be united behind uh, police reform. This is not anti-police. This is just pro-people, pro-policing. This is about constitutional policing in the United States of America and that African-Americans and other minorities uh, should not be fearful of interactions with the police and they should leave those interactions alive and able to go home to their families. And we think that that is a message that the entire country uh, can get behind. And if the entire country is behind it, like we think they are, then we can make sure we pass this on a bipartisan uh, basis and hurry up and get this done so that we can uh, move this country forward and protect human life. How about this as a message for the whole country? A message for all of us. Don't commit violent felonies. Don't resist arrest. And you have about as much reason to fear law enforcement statistically as you do being killed by a deer coming through your windshield while you're driving down the road. Not saying it never happens, but, you know, it's a few dozen people a year, maybe. Don't don't do those. Don't commit a violent felony. Okay, which is a fair ask, I think, of all of us. No violent felonies. Don't resist arrest. When the cops say you're under arrest, this would be good messaging. When the police say you're under arrest, everyone in schools across the country should be told, guys, when that happens, it's it's game over. Take it up in court. Hands behind your back. Be polite. Don't say a word. Get in the back of the car. Go to the police precinct. If someone does that. I don't care what color they are or you know, anything else. If someone does that and a police officer then decides to manhandle them, hurt them, abuse them, I'm, I'm going to be at the front of the line saying that officer needs to lose his badge and go to prison. We can't have that crap. But l- let's let's set some real standards here, because he, here's here's the reality of law enforcement in America today. All right. And I saw it up close as somebody who is. You know, I was in the NYPD, but I was really a civilian counterterrorism expert. I was kind of almost like a, like an in-house academic slash former sp- or spy. I wasn't really a, you know, I wasn't a cop, but I was with cops all day and I was doing surveillance with them and out with them. And I saw law enforcement up close and personal. You know, it was like the equivalent of doing an 18 month ride along in many ways. Our cops are good people. Our cops are doing a good job. And there's the, the, the reality is that some federal bill is not going to change the aberrant events where you have a bad cop doing bad things. It's not going to make any difference. We have all the laws on the books, really, that we need when it comes to you know state and local law enforcement and the way that they're conducting themselves. I think our cops are good. I, you know, it's it's like if you're looking at a if you're looking at a professional sports league, do, do we need a massive transformation of the rule book 
or is the league working out and the rules we have are good? It doesn't mean that there aren't sometimes people that need to be suspended or kicked out of the league. I think our cops are doing a good job. And in fact, they were doing a better job before BLM said they were doing a bad job. The violence needs to stop. It's unacceptable. People deserve to feel safe in their neighborhood. They deserve to be able to send their kids out to the sidewalk to play and to recreate without bullets flying by. That's unacceptable. We should be holding those perpetrators accountable. And it's going to take a very comprehensive effort. Yes, it includes safety beyond policing, and it includes police. Uh, and, you know, I'm one that has been working lockstep with our chief, our Adondo, and I'm calling on the council members to try to work with them as well. It's just the reality of the situation. You know, when, when you make uh, big overarching statements that we're going to defund or abolish and dismantle uh, the police department and get rid of all the officers. There's an impact to that. There's an impact. Do we need massive change? Yes, we do. We need accountability and culture shift within our department and we need police. Walls don't work was the dumbest slogan the Democrats ever had. And then defund the police came along, took the number one spot. That was Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Fry, who is... Admitting, I mean, he's trying to soft pedal it a little bit. He's he's trying to, you know, downplay it. But admitting that, yeah, there's been a huge spike in crime in Minneapolis. And it's a disaster. And it is directly related to the defund the police narrative. Is this a surprise to anybody? Does anyone find this information out and go, oh, my gosh, you mean... Getting rid of law enforcement resources and personnel and undermining police in their jobs and making it harder for them to do their jobs. You mean that results in bad people doing bad things even more so? But wait a second. I thought by constantly berating and and maligning law enforcement, we were going to make our streets safer. I thought we'd make them safer if we... Oh, no. Nobody really thought that. But there are all these other things brought into the conversation. All, all these other ideas get mixed into this. And that's how you get to a place where defund the police is a mainstream chant. Because it's not about safety. It's about social justice. It's not about making sure that cops are accountable. It's creating a narrative of why there is crime in some communities that law enforcement seems unable to to lower, That why there are some parts of the country where there's violence going on. It has nothing to do with people making decisions in those communities. It is the cops' fault. And that's very comforting for people. That's That's something that... They, they want to hear. They'd rather believe that it's the cops than that it's the breakdown of families, fatherlessness, drug abuse, victimology narratives, any of these things. It's true all over the country. It's true in any high crime community. It is a preferable thing for a lot of the activists, leftists, and Democrats to hear that cops are the problem. This is a huge distraction. I mean, this, this, is a, this is a lie. But it's one that has gained mainstream traction all over the Democrat Party. And and everyone should be really, really disgusted by this, because this is not just something that that happens that we can say, all right, you know, maybe the tax rate shouldn't have gone up. Maybe maybe we slowed some economic growth a little bit with that tax increase. This is people 
getting shot and killed in greater numbers. This comes with real consequences for for people who are are relying on sound judgment, which is always a risky proposition, from the elites and the people in power. And what they get in return, what they get in response is just utterly incompetent nonsense. I mean, the defund the police movement is is an abomination. It really is. It's a horrible idea. And you've got the mayor of Minneapolis who's straight up saying, yeah, maybe we've gone a little too far with this. People should be embarrassed. They sh- there's, there's shame attached to this. They sh- there should be a real sense of, uh, you know, we should be indignant about it. It's so obvious. But we, went, we had to go through a year of this before, oh, it turns out if you, you know, get rid of cops and cut the budget, you know, things get worse. Of course they do. Some people know that this was the wrong move all along, and some states are taking action in the right direction. All the momentum is with places like Florida and Texas, red states with Republican governors. That's where it feels like good decisions, at least for large states, good decisions are being made. Blue states are just hemorrhaging people. They're a mess. Texas Governor Greg Abbott's out there just saying, look, we're, we're going to take action against cities at the state level. We will take action against cities that defund police play five. Well, the, the reason it's stronger is because, as you pointed out, I'm about to sign a law uh, that will ensure that cities in the state of Texas uh, will not be able to defund police. First, the context, and that is that you pointed out what's going on in Minneapolis, where it is both a tragedy and a disaster, uh, what's going on for the residents of Minneapolis because of the defunding of police. And you've seen the same thing in Portland and Seattle and Chicago and New York, et cetera. Harris, unfortunately, we had the same thing happen here in the state of Texas, where the city of Austin defunded police, which is why you saw that uh, tragic situation uh, reported in Austin, Texas. And because Austin defunded police, we wanted to do two things in this session. One, we wanted to make sure that there were going to be consequences for the city of Austin. Uh, the second is we wanted to make sure that no other city in the state of Texas would defund police. And so here's what we're doing in the state of Texas to, to put teeth into this law that uh, provides real consequences for cities that do defund the police. One, we're going to dry up their revenue sources hmm. in a way that basically uh, will put the city out of business. Uh, what happens is uh, a resident so should not be taxed. The city. We're, we're going to defund the city. Defund the city if they defund the police. This is a public safety measure. It's the kind of action that needs to be taken. This is what people should expect, uh, well, they should demand that this happens. I mean, I, I was in Austin some weeks ago, uh, it was maybe about a month ago now, and I met with a member of the, the only Republican member of the Austin City Council, and she walked me through, t- took me through City Hall in Austin and also talked to me all about the crime situation there and how things have gotten much worse and quality of life is going down, vagrancy is going up, assaults going up, all kinds of criminal offenses on the rise, they cut the police budget over $100 million. How, why should the police budget in Austin be cut over $100 million? Because one cop killed George Floyd in Minneapolis. 
I mean, can, can you imagine for a second if we if the response after sometimes for there'll be someone in the military who in, over the course of fighting a war, they'll kill a civilian in a way that under UCMJ is is a murder. I mean, that will happen. Would anyone say, oh, well, there's one guy who snapped and and killed a civilian in while in uniform in the military. So let's defund the military. No, that that would be crazy. But it's very much what goes on here with the defund the police movement. So I'm happy to see Governor Abbott, Governor DeSantis, people that are in charge of of large states making sure that that they're doing everything they can to just stamp out this nonsense. Just get rid of this craziness. It's just not I mean, to say it's not helpful is a, is a real understatement. It's not sane. It's not reasonable. This was never a good idea. And we've already seen what it results. We, we've, we've done the experiment. We shouldn't have had to, but we've done the experiment. We've seen the results. And they show us that defund the police, as I've said, is, is perhaps the dumbest Democrat slogan in living memory. And the, the, it's got a lot of competition. I mean, I think that the party has been completely taken over. And I know that a lot of people had hoped that once uh, Trump had left Washington, that maybe they would get their party back. Clearly, that is not the case. And so there's only a couple of directions to go here. Either the party is reformed or a new party is created. And so we will see. But the impact, as long as you have a network that continues to be the mouthpiece, that continues to spread just tremendous lies about everything under the sun, I mean, people still believing that the election was stolen, people still trying to investigate the election. So with all of that going on, it doesn't surprise me. But, Joy, one thing that's different now since January 6th, my Republican colleagues who know better, but they are still beholden because they are afraid. In the past, they were afraid of a primary opponent. Now they're afraid for their safety. And that's a profound change. That's very frightening. Oh, that's right. Let's take advice from a left-wing member of Congress on what's going or let's take the analysis of a left-wing member of Congress on what's happening within the GOP now because she really wants what's best for the GOP as, as I'm sure you already know she she really wants to see a Republican party that's united and strong and sure uh, all, all that you know this this is now the 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 focus on the deficiencies of the GOP whether it's the GOP voter or GOP politicians, this is going to become a, a deafeningly loud narrative from the corporate Democrat media because Biden is a loser and the Democrats are, are a disaster at governing. We all see it. They're not good at this. Their ideas are bad. And so what is the response you'll get from the people in charge? You think they'll, they'll have introspection and self-correction? Or will they just double down on all the things that haven't worked before, either in recent or distant uh, memory, and find a way to make this about the insurrection on January 6th? Oh, the insurrection! Yeah, it was the most terrifying thing to happen in this country since the Civil War. I mean, the stuff that's being said about it is is appalling. But there, okay, so now there's the insurrection. The, these are the primary Democrat talking points. The insurrection... The threat of white nationalist terrorism, right? There's all these things they say. But but there's also um, the, oh, GOP members 
don't uh, accept the results of the election. They don't accept the results of the election. Oh, my gosh. What are we going to do? Meanwhile, Biden's president, you know, the country's marching on. But they act like this is some huge deal. Uh, uh, Smarmy, you know, Smarmy O'Donnell over at uh, MSNBC. He's he's getting all high and mighty on this one. I I just want to give a important context to what this claim is. But this is being made all over the place by leftists uh, that they that Donald Trump supporters think that he won. And that's so crazy and destabilizes our democracy and all this sort of stuff. Here's that jerk O'Donnell play 14. Well, they definitely are in sync uh, with the Trump vote. Uh, We have a new poll showing that 53 percent of Republicans, 53 percent, believe that Donald Trump is the true president. So that means 53 percent of Republicans fail a basic mental competency test question. Who is the president of the United States? The, the, the true president, what they mean by what people are saying is they think that Biden gamed the system and that there was malfeasance in the last election. They don't think that Donald Trump is actually in the White House right now running things. So, I mean, I, the way the way he frames this, I think, is absurd. But beyond that, Democrats spent four years while Trump was president pretending Hillary won the election. And not just in, you know, it wasn't just something that they told themselves so they'd feel better about you know, supporting. Wow. Like the worst human being ever to be in American politics in the in the in the post World War Two era. Hillary Clinton. I mean, they, they were trying to make it seem like that was a normal thing. And beyond that, they got a special counsel. They took serious legal action based upon this lie that there was Russia collusion, which was, I'll never forget when President Trump told me, he actually told me this in the Oval Office. He's like, Russia collusion, it's such a stupid idea. It's, it's such a dumb thing to do. Even if somebody was willing to do it, which Donald Trump was not, it wouldn't even make any sense. You're going to work with the Russians to hack in to the DNC server so that then they can release information about how Bernie Sanders is being treated badly by the DNC and expect that to throw the election? Of course, Bernie, we all knew Bernie Sanders was getting uh, the rough stuff from the DNC. We all knew that that was what happening. It wasn't some big surprise. It was just proved it. But Hillary was still running. There wasn't there wasn't some, you know, smoking gun moment where, oh, you know, no, in fact, Hillary was completely caught breaking the law many times over with her email, sending classified over an unclassified server, doing all kinds of really bad stuff, and was bailed out by the system because the system believes she's one of theirs, and the system uh, thought that she was going to win. So they didn't want to be on the wrong side of her either. But they spend four years pretending that Donald Trump was an illegitimate president. And, and what they won't do is understand that now for a lot of people, yeah, you know, maybe they maybe they're not sure about some of these election claims. May, maybe they're you know, they don't they're still waiting to see some of the evidence or whatever. But they'll say that because what's fair is fair. 
You wouldn't accept ours. We won't accept yours. That's the attitude. I understand that's how people feel about this. You know, you wouldn't accept Donald Trump's legitimacy. Well, a lot of Trump voters are saying they don't accept Joe Biden's legitimacy. It's, you know, reciprocity here. It's a it's a reprisal belief in many ways. And it's just so fun, I'm sure, to in these polls to tell some pollster, you know, who then, oh, my gosh, they're they're threatening our sacred democracy with their ideas, you know, all that stuff. So that's something, you know, we, we could be focused on the Democrats could be focused on real problems like spending too much money, uh, inflation. Here's uh, Senator Roy Blunt on how folks this is going to this is not going to end well. Play 15. If we spend $7.1 trillion, that adds $56,000 for every American family to the national debt. Every American family can do a lot with $56,000. They could send somebody to a public institution of of higher learning for about five years for $56,000. They could make a lot of house payments for $56,000. That's how much $7.1 trillion would add to the balance sheet for every single family in America. We've got to get reasonable and real about spending, uh, or inflation will be a problem, government stability will be a problem, the dollar will be a problem, uh, and we don't want any of those things to happen. We don't, but Democrats don't look into the future and deal with reality. They see this as they're in charge. They've got power. They're going to spend your money. If you got a problem with that, their feeling is too bad. Tough for you. Not something that's going to slow them down one bit. And I, I just worry that this is another instance where we're going to we're going to find that we have to suffer the consequences. We we have to learn the hard way because Democrats refuse to learn the easy way which is through the application of logic, reason, a knowledge of history. No, forget all that stuff. What feels right now like what's best for them, that is the Democrat mantra of governance. That's what they're going to keep doing. There are a lot of VPN providers out there. You've probably heard of a couple of them, and maybe you've even used a VPN before, but I'm really into doing my research on my sponsors and on all the companies I'm going to use. I only recommend brands to my listeners that I use and believe in. I can say with full confidence that ExpressVPN is simply the best VPN on the market. Here's why. ExpressVPN doesn't log your data. Lots of really cheap or free VPNs make money by selling your data to ad companies. And ExpressVPN developed a technology called Trusted Server that makes it impossible for their servers to log any of your info. Then you've got speed, another really important factor here. I've tried a lot of VPNs in the past. A lot of them will slow down your connection, make your device sluggish. But with ExpressVPN, for months now, I've been using it. My internet speeds are perfect. The last thing that really sets ExpressVPN apart from other VPNs, how easy it is to use. You don't have to input it into a program or anything. You just fire up the app, click one button to connect. It's so easy Even your grandparents could use it. Or if you're a grandparent, you can use it. Trust me, this is a VPN for you. Protect yourself with a virtual private network that I use and trust. This encrypts your data on your device and prevents spying from big tech by hiding your IP address. That's what a VPN does. You need this. ExpressVPN.com slash buck. Go to that website now. ExpressVPN.com slash buck. 
And on a one-year package, you'll get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com slash buck. That's ExpressVPN.com slash buck. What should the U.S. government do in response to the most recent revelations about the origins of the Wuhan coronavirus and, and much more? Also, what's going on with the latest in terms of border policy and the second order effects of it that go far beyond the actual border and border zone itself? We're joined now by Senator Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee to talk about this. Senator Blackburn, thanks for thanks for being with us. I'm delighted to be with you. Thank you for having me on. What are your biggest takeaways? A member of the U.S. Senate who now is going to be looking at the issue of U.S. funding through a subgrant that Dr. Fauci has admitted occurred. Money went from taxpayers funneled through a third party to the Wuhan lab doing research into bat viruses. Uh, we also know that Fauci has has flip flopped on a number of, of of issues and people are calling for some accountability here. What do you think should happen? And, and do you believe that there's a role for the Senate to play? Well, I do think that there is a very important role for the Senate to play because we are responsible for this oversight. And when you look at the money that went into various groups that were funding this research, and when you, he will not um, answer the question as to whether or not there was participation in gain-of-function research, and if that was funded during the time of the Obama administration, this is something that we do need to review. What we do know is that during Secretary Pompeo's time at the Department of State, that our diplomatic scientists had expressed concerns about what was happening at the Wuhan lab. So it is time for uh, Dr. Fauci to actually, you know, tell us what he's, what he knows. And it is time that we began a series of investigations. If, if uh, the president is going to shut down the State Department's investigation into the Wuhan lab, it's going to depend on those of us in Congress to pick that up and figure out exactly what happened. We know that over a series of decades, China took our jobs, moved our manufacturing to China, encouraged U.S. companies to become reliant on them, and then what did they do? They sent us this virus. So finding out how it started, knowing if it did indeed escape from the lab through function, uh, gain-of-function research that they were doing at that lab, this is a question that needs to be answered. We also know that, the, as you mentioned, that the Biden administration, there's a report out, that they may have shut down or, or that the Biden administration came in and said that State Department uh, officials who were trying to look into and, and collect information about what happened with the origins of the Wuhan coronavirus, that, that Biden said no more, that they, they cut this off. Can, well, what possible reason, Senator, could they have for doing that? Aren't, aren't we all supposed to be on the same page about getting to the truth about what happened with the origins of this virus? We should all be on the same page. You can't prevent something like this from happening again if you don't know how it happened in the first place. So it is 
only something that would embolden China. But look at Joe Biden's policies. He wants to go to green energy. Okay, well, who makes solar panels? China. Who makes wind turbines? China. Who makes the batteries for electric cars? China. Uh, Who is it that is uh, cornering the market when it comes to manufacturing antibiotics? and active pharmaceutical ingredients that are necessary for vaccines. There again, that is China. And what President Biden has done with his decisions is to make decisions that are going to encourage China and then decisions that are not going to bolster U.S. manufacturing, U.S. research, U.S. sovereignty, look at the border, um, U.S. protecting U.S. citizens. Look at what happened with COVID-19. So the priority should be protecting this country. We're speaking to Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee. Senator, I want to ask about something going on in your home state. Uh, there, there are reports the Biden administration is flying illegal alien children into Tennessee, often in the middle of the night, it seems like they're trying to keep a very low profile on this without any involvement or knowledge of, of the community, elected officials like the governor, you as a senator for Tennessee. What, what can you tell us about this? And does HHS have have answers for you? HHS does not have answers. Indeed, they are avoiding answers. And in addition to the four planes that landed at Wilson Air in the middle of the night, we talked to a Tennessean who has, um, he was on a flight from Dallas to Chattanooga that ended up landing at about one o'clock in the morning. And there was a chaperone for, I think, 10 to 15 um, children that were not U.S. speaking children. They were migrant children. This individual talked to the chaperone. Uh, they were going to Chattanooga to go to be housed in a facility. They had uh, new backpacks, clothes, iPhones. So this is taxpayer dollars that are being used to help the cartels finish the job that they are doing to keep to uh, get these migrants into the country and to position them. Uh, whether it is in a shelter or sending them to a sponsor, which many times the sponsor, so-called sponsor they're going to, is affiliated with a a labor work crew or an MS-13 gang or a drug ring or a sex trafficking organization. Senator Blackburn, I know you've introduced a bill recently that would try uh, to deal with the border crisis, which keeps it's ongoing and actually worsening. Everyone that I've talked to down there and I recently was at the border myself. uh, No one thinks that this has been dealt with effectively, really hasn't been dealt with at all by the Biden administration. Kamala Harris, the vice president and border czar, has still, as I speak to you, yet to go down there. Can you tell us about your your effort to to instate uh, migrant protection protocols here? Yes. Uh, The Migrant Protection Protocols, this is basically President Trump's Remain in Mexico policy, and I have turned that into legislation. 
that we are seeking co-sponsors for in the Senate. We are trying to push this forward. The Border Patrol regularly talks about how effective that policy was because if you had people coming to the southern border and they wanted to apply for asylum, they had to remain either in their home country or in Mexico until the time of that asylum hearing. Some people were granted asylum, some were sent back to their home country because the claims were not valid. Now, the Biden administration did away with that policy. And what they have done since Joe Biden was sworn in, they have had over a half million, over a half million illegal aliens approach the border to claim asylum. So thereby, they are having to process them, which is catch, and then release them into the country, the release part of catch and release, and then at some point in the future, maybe a year, two years, three years, they will have an asylum hearing. So this is what, this is a big part of what is wrong with that process. And uh, reinstating those protocols would be a tremendous help to our border patrol. Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you being here. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, listen, they're talking about it's a time for choosing. The American people have already chosen. And and they showed up in unbelievable volumes that said what we want is a president who will keep America first. Joe Biden is America last. We don't have to look any further than the cancellation of the Keystone Pipeline. And then what do they do for Russia? They take off the sanctions so that they can finish their pipeline. We see, not uh, not uh, surprisingly today, that the Palestinians actually referred to Secretary Blinken as Secretary Clinton. Well, that's because they're reverting back to a, a Clinton way of doing business. And what did they get? What did what did the Biden administration do? 2,000 rockets into Israel. And what did they get in return? They get all kinds of concessions from the Biden administration. That's not leadership. It's time that we revert back to what works. And that is peace through strength, a boldness that President Donald Trump brought to the American people. Now, that's not what Democrats want to do. Democrats would much rather do what we would all expect them to do, which is reward bad behavior, bend the knee to our enemies, just just essentially do everything in their power to make life as as difficult as possible for the uh, the bulk of the American people while going around the world and trying to buy off, placate, and assist even. Pallets of cash delivered sometimes. Some of the worst actors on the global stage. There you had former uh, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows just saying, look, Biden takes an America last approach. And it's true that the Democrats have, have deeply internalized a philosophy of America is a problem and America needs to pay the price for that, that we have historically and to this day oppressed other peoples all over the world, that we've caused instability and misery and are an imperial power. I mean, this is they don't talk about a lot of the Democrat Party, but this is well, they do in some places, but this is uh, internalized. They, they believe this stuff. They think the greatness of America is exaggerated, even even jingoistic to talk about. <clears throat> 
Here's uh, Secretary of State Blinken, who's just saying, you know, okay, well, now, now we're about to write a check. The American people are about to give $360 million to the Palestinian people. Play nine. We're also working in partnership with uh, the United Nations, the international community, uh, the Palestinian Authority, the Palestinian people, the government of Israel, to assist in the relief and recovery efforts uh, in Gaza. Uh, the, this relief is urgent. We have to respond uh, to uh, the profound need uh, to uh, uh, help people in, in, uh, in this moment. Uh, to that end, uh, I informed uh, President Abbas uh, and earlier uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu that the United States will notify Congress of our intention to provide uh, $75 million in additional development and economic assistance uh, for the Palestinians in uh, 2021. We'll also provide uh, $5.5 million in immediate disaster assistance uh, for Gaza and uh, a little over $32 million for UNRWA's emergency uh, humanitarian appeal. This new assistance comes on top of significant support that the United States has recently committed uh, and resumed to uh, the Palestinian Authority, to Palestinians, uh, to uh, different, uh, different agencies and groups. In total, we are in the process of providing uh, more than $360 million in urgent support for the Palestinian uh, people. $360 million. Now, I understand when you're a government as, as ours is right now with Biden running things that's talking about spending trillions of dollars, $360 million doesn't seem like that much money. But I, I, I also have to ask a question here. Why is Gaza America's problem? Now, you could ask this about a lot of foreign policy situations all over the world, but why is Gaza our problem? I, I think it's fair to ask this. There are a lot of countries in the region. There are a lot of very wealthy uh, Muslim-majority countries in the Middle East. There's, of course, our European friends and allies. And, uh, you know, there's uh, very wealthy countries like Japan and China. Why is Gaza our problem? Now, look, I feel, I feel sympathy for any human being who is, who is suffering through no fault of their own. I feel sympathy for the Palestinian families that have lost, you know, housing because of uh, Israeli airstrikes or people who have lost family members as uh, as as collateral damage in these airstrikes, which I, I, I do understand that phrase, you know, collateral damage is easy to say when it's not your family. And I, I understand that. I fully admit that. And um, but it was an unintentional killing. You could say that unintentional loss of life on the part of, of the Israeli strikes. Uh but why is this something that America and the Biden administration you know, leaps leaps into with this? Uh, we have to we have to send them three hundred and sixty million dollars. I mean, that's money. The federal government is is taking the money, the productivity of the American people to write these checks. And it, it's not clear at all to me as to what. First of all, what will this even accomplish in Gaza? I'd, I'd want to know. I'd want to see. We've been, I mean, Gaza as a place has been receiving international aid for years and years and years, and it never really seems to get much better. They have Hamas as the elected government, which is terrifying. Um, but there's so much wrong thing from Democrats on, on foreign policy. Uh, they approach it all. It's, it's like they're trying to do the wrong thing. I mean, here's the Secretary of State again on the Iran nuclear deal, which they... You want to rejoin, play eight. To Iran, no, I think the most important thing uh, when, it comes to, uh, when it comes to this is what we committed to do from day one. 
uh, of, of this administration. Well, we said all along that uh, if there was an opportunity, we would uh, seek to return to mutual compliance uh, with the JCPOA. Uh, but we also said that from day one, we would be keeping our closest allies and closest partners fully and contemporaneously informed of, uh, of what we were doing and uh, and where we were going. And, and that's what we've done, uh, and that's what we'll continue to do. That is how uh, you keep faith. Uh, with your partners uh, and uh, and allies uh, on something that, of of course, is of great consequence to Israel, we uh, uh, we understand that. And again, we have uh, we have the same objective. And uh, let's see where um, where things go in the next uh, in the next few weeks. But I can again uh, tell you that uh, we are fully fully engaged with uh, with our with our partners here in at least making sure that uh, they're fully informed of what we're doing. Man, this guy is boring, isn't he? Sorry about that. Listening to the current Secretary of State, uh, but the, the, the Biden administration foreign policy, it's just going to be a continuation of Obama's eight years of foreign policy, which were really an unmitigated disaster. So that's what's coming your way, America. With Memorial Day weekend ahead, flag season is officially upon us. I've been telling you about our friends at Allegiance Flag Supply, a great American small business story whose founders started the company because they were tired of buying American flags that got tangled or worn out so quickly and believed strongly that the American flag should be made here in America. You might be saying to yourself, a flag is a flag, Buck, isn't it? No, no, my friends. If you've had an American flag in the past out in front of your house or you know somebody who has, you've seen the constant tangling around poles or the quick deterioration because of wind, rain, sun, this is where American flags from Allegiance Flag Supply really stand out. Their flags are made from top quality nylon, a material that's strong and durable, but lightweight enough to fly nicely in a breeze. The flags are also made with mold-resistant material and crafted using double needle lock stitching. In addition, when you buy their flag set, you receive their non-tangle flagpole spinners that ensure your flag will spin around the pole. No more tangled flags. Allegiance Flag Supply brings the respect to the manufacturing process that the American flag deserves, and you can experience the high quality of this craftsmanship in front of your own home by going to showallegiance.com and enter promo code BUCK for 10% off your order. Again, summer and flag season are upon us. Go to this website now. Get a flag. Everybody, this time, come on. This time of year, this time in America. Showallegiance.com. Enter promo code BUCK. That's essential. Make sure you enter that promo code BUCK for 10% off your order and get yours in time for Flag Day on June 14th. That's showallegiance.com. Enter promo code BUCK for 10% off. Reckoning with the aftermath of George Floyd, looking at the pathologically soft and tender America that countenanced last summer's riots, and this has yet to materialize, uh, we will join our friend here, Pedro Gonzalez, who's the author of this piece at American Greatness, uh, American Greatness, amgreatness.com, Reckoning with the Aftermath of George Floyd. This week, obviously, was the anniversary of of George Floyd's death. Pedro, thanks for being with us. Hey, Buck, always good to be here. So you went through this in, in substantial detail in your in your piece. What What is the takeaway that you think America should have now that we are one year into the post-George Floyd 
movement era or the 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 movement era, I should say, of, of George Floyd. Right. Well, the left thinks that we didn't go far enough. That's that was what CNN's John Blake wrote on the anniversary of, of Floyd's death was that we didn't have a racial reckoning uh, that that we had a missed opportunity. Either it was a missed opportunity or a false start. But basically, after everything that happened last year, uh, we're still back at square one as far as people like Blake and many other leftists agree. I mean, this is I think this is actually the general consensus is like there's still so much work to do. And last year was either the beginning or, like I said, a kind of false start. And I think conservatives are in this weird place where the GOP's official stance is basically like, yeah, a lot of the basic uh, arguments of like systemic racism are true. So that's why we've made Tim Scott our figurehead. And that's why the GOP is committed to criminal justice reform, uh, because we basically agree. I mean, we don't agree on all the, you know, on all the, the details, but we, yeah, okay, okay, America's bad, uh, uh, but it's better now. And, you know, we're going to show you it's better by basically also going all in on on criminal justice reform. So, and, and of course, like everyday Americans, uh, who I think are in many cases conservative in their sensibilities, disagree with that because they're the ones that lived through the riots on the street level and saw businesses get destroyed and homes get vandalized and friends, family, and police officers get injured, maimed, and even killed. So in a way, I actually agree with Blake. We haven't had a reckoning. It's just not the one that he wants, but America needs. Well, I think in your, you're raising here that there's, there, are, there are fundamental lies that are at the heart of the, of the BLM movement, for example, uh, the the narrative is saying, and it's not that easy to explain without getting into uh, some specifics, but that that young unarmed black men are systemically in large numbers killed by police without legal justification and without punishment for the officer, which is which is central to the the belief of BLM. This is a lie, and this is just not true. That's not the same thing as saying it never happens. But to suggest that this is an urgent national problem, I mean, the urgent problem is the enormous increase in homicides. But quite honestly, the homicide rates in places like Chicago and St. Louis and Memphis and New Orleans and Baltimore was far too high before the BLM homicide uh, spike. And yes, these are in predominantly minority black and brown neighborhoods where a lot of these shootings are occurring, which means that they're suffering from them more. That is the reality of what's going on in America, but that is not what we're talking about. It's, it's still, if we, you brought up Senator Tim Scott, if we pass some law, this is going to change. What, what is supposed to change here? No cop is ever going to be in a lethal force situation and perhaps make the wrong decision or use excessive force. That's never going to happen. Yeah, you've already lost if, if that's your position. Uh, no, we'll pass a law and fix this. It's like, you've already you've actually already given up the most important issue here. But it, when you look at things retrospectively, how has the country changed? Well, violent crime has soared because police have retreated from policing violent crime, especially in inner cities. So you know that was a huge backfire. But of course, it's not true that they're completely depolicing because. It also seems to be the case that not just law enforcement, but also the military and the intelligence community, uh, after last year's devastating riots, 
their principal targets now are this is not hyperbole it's like trump supporters and people who are identifiably conservative you can find examples of uh, there's a, a guy named Gar uh, bishop garrison who is in charge of the pentagon's who's overseeing a lot of the pentagon's project to ferret out extremism this is a guy who who thinks that white supremacy is uh, a nation-ending threat and he, he connects his explicit support for the 1619 project to his work at the uh, Department of Defense. And like, that's the guy that's overseeing the military's uh, anti-extremism efforts. How do you think that's going to go? And you, you mean, you're seeing the same with, with police departments. Uh, there's an, an instance that I wrote about with Jonathan Petlin where basically cops are, you know, they're happy to enforce like pandemic measures. And they're also happy to politicize these confrontations between civilians and criminals, especially if they're black. But what about violent crime? You know, things that actually matter. They're retreating from that. So there's this, basically the country has changed in a really bad way. Um, and on, on top of that, obviously, like all these small businesses were destroyed. And who did that benefit? It benefited the people like Jeff Bezos and these huge corporations, right, that, that were also in a lot of ways materially and morally supporting the riots. So the, the country has changed in a fundamental and awful way. Uh, and I think that when you just give a cursory examination to the events last year, it's it's absolutely horrific and it, it's mind-boggling that we don't even talk about it. There was one instance that everyone seems to have forgotten about, where a police officer in Vegas was shot in, in the head while trying to while dealing with the BLM riots. He's now paralyzed from the neck down and is on 24-hour respirator uh, support, and basically his his life has changed forever. No one seems to care about that, and that's just one example. You know, you had security contractors killed and. and a security contractor killed in California. You had a retired police captain killed in Missouri. And you had, not to mention all the people that were injured and maimed. Like, why doesn't anyone care about this? Speaking of Pedro Gonzalez, he's a senior writer at American Greatness. He has a piece at amgreatness.com, reckoning with the aftermath of George Floyd. You know, Pedro, to that point, earlier this week, there were, was a live news shot at George, at George Floyd Square and I do I do think there's something um, I, I think there's something really, really gro morally grotesque about elevating this man as as a hero, uh, certainly as a martyr, but really a, as a hero. I mean, there are murals of him in Europe as if that has, you know, as, as if their situation is the same as ours when it comes to law enforcement, their history, whatever, whatever we're talking about. I mean, this is a man who was a who was a had a, lo a long criminal history. This is somebody who, during a home invasion, this is all a matter of public record, pointed a loaded firearm at the belly of a pregnant woman who he was robbing. And this is somebody whose face is now in murals as, as though he's some kind of a saint. And at the live shot at the George Floyd Memorial, gunfire was ringing. This happened on live TV. Gunfire, bam, bam, bam. Shots just ringing out. You would think that there would be some embarrassment that this is what happens at a at a you know seemingly holy site to the left but no not at all but by the way the gunfire wasn't from cops folks in case you know anyone was curious yeah no it's it's crazy uh but no there, there is no shame there's no contradiction in these things they don't care uh, and if anything it's somehow attributable to white people and white supremacy i mean ultimately that this this all goes back to that and i think that's the really pernicious thing is we have not reckoned with the the theoretical justification of all these things, which is 
that even when there's violence in inner cities or a shooting at the at the the Floyd Square, uh, it, it all somehow can be reduced to a symptom of white supremacy. That, that's what you're actually seeing. And that the, the violence and the criminality, uh, these are not causes, but symptoms of, of, a, of basically what the 1619 Project has said about America, that America is fundamentally bad and evil, and you're not allowed to point out these contradictions. And I think another aspect of this that has flown under the, under the radar is that this is, I think, a tremendous indictment of the entire American political system. I don't know how else to put it, but leading up to the the, the the BLM riots last year, you had a bunch of prisoner releases. A bunch of people got out of prison early on the grounds that they had to stop the spread. And apparently the, the virus was running rampant through prisons, something, because we were releasing murderers, rapists, uh, drug dealers, uh, burglars, serial offend, like really bad people. In many cases, they went on to repeat offend almost as soon as they were released. There's at least one instance I can remember off the top of my mind where a guy got out of prison and within like 48 hours, he stabbed and killed somebody else. And there's examples of like sex offenders who were released because, you know, we don't want them to get sick in prison. And then what do they do? They go and like expose themselves to someone almost immediately after the release. So here's a good question. Because these releases happened just before and during the, the, the riots, how much of the violence is actually attributable to to policy decisions uh, on the state and local level, to uh, politicians, bureaucrats, administrators, and governors uh, letting people out of prison early or just letting them out of prison altogether in order to stop the spread? And then these people went on to participate in rioting and looting. And then if they got caught, in a place like New York, where you know they've eliminated cash bail, uh, they get caught and then immediately released. We, well, I, this is another thing that I think is huge and we haven't discussed. And, and it is, a, I think, a tremendous crime against the country that we did this. And also that we're not asked. In a lot of ways, it parallels the whole uh, the pandemic origin thing, right? We're not, we're not supposed to talk about the fact that it really looks like this thing came out of a lab. You're supposed to ignore that. It, it's very similar to that in a sense. Speaking of Pedro Gonzalez, senior writer at American Greatness, and if you go to amgreatness.com, you can see his piece there, Reckoning with the Aftermath of George Floyd. So Pedro, I, just, I want to note, you know, it seems that there's always this, I read a lot of the commentaries this week from uh, various leftists and corporate media Democrats, uh, where, they're, where they point to disparities. They'll say that this community, this this racial ethnic community is arrested at this rate compared to other communities. And then that is always that is always put forward as as de facto evidence of racism from the police. When when I sit here and I mean, I can I can just off the top of my head tell everybody that, you know, Rikers Island, the main prison in New York City, where I am, is over 90 percent black and Hispanic. Uh, it is the, the claim of the left seems to be that that is because of racist cops. And and the thing is, no one really believes that, right? It's not racist cops that are the reason for that, but we're not allowed to talk about it. Yeah. Well, basically what you're saying is that peop uh, people don't have agency, is, is what you're saying. And specifically that blacks and non-whites uh, generally do not have agency. They're not in control of their actions. And there's an, uh, a topical example. In 2016, uh, a, a black man 
uh, snuck into the home of a 95-year-old World War II veteran over Thanksgiving weekend and beat him to death with his own mantle clock, which he later pawned. And in court, he said that it wasn't a cold-blooded killing. That he the, the reason he had, he lashed out and murdered this old man was because he was white and he resembled his oppressors, and that you have to con- and this is what he and his defense uh, attorney argued that you have to consider the environment that he grew up in, that he's a product of his environment, and he, he can't be held accountable for his actions, uh, and that it was not a cold-blooded crime; it was a it was a warm-blooded crime of kind of like it was a cry for help, and and he said you know I stole not because I enjoyed it but because I needed to steal, and. The, I think the, the great part about that was that his mother and his sister were in court and they were deeply, obviously, sorry to the family of, of the World War II veteran. And when he said that, uh, the sister told the press, no, we had everything we needed when we were growing up. You know, but even obviously, even if they didn't, that still doesn't justify murder. But but the what's underlying that whole argument is that he doesn't have agency. He's not in control of his actions. So the, that's basically what this argument is, is that people and specifically non-whites minorities have no agency i hate to, to the, the, use system, the, the system effectively is and this is where you get the yeah. the system is making people do things or the system is responsible and pedro i mean you had the white house say community violence recently re- referring to acts of violence right not not violence it's it's that the community is responsible for violence right. not violence against the community right yeah yeah you're all you're all responsible and that was actually what this man's uh, attorney said like that basically the community had a responsibility for the way that he turned out just totally absurd and I, I hate to use this line that i'm really critical of you know de- like saying like this is real racism or democrats are real racist but i mean in a way it's true if you're saying well blacks don't have agency you're, you're taking this kind of paternalistic stance that they have to be protected from themselves uh and others because they're just not in control of their actions they, they can't operate uh freely in society only like, the conservative political saying. philosophy believes that all people are equal in the eyes of God, the law, and and each other. But we'll have to leave it there right now, Pedro. Thanks so much for joining us. Pedro Gonzalez of American Greatness. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. He has asked the Department of Education to issue this review and brief. And last I checked, I believe that they're in the process of developing that, um, that brief and review. And I and I believe that once the Department of Education comes back um, again, knock on wood, but very hopefully saying that he does, in fact, have the legal authority to cancel student loan debt, not he can do it without Congress with the stroke of his pen. Then once they release that brief, then it's on us to then triple down on our organizing and to get him to do it. Um, He has expressed, you know, some talk around a $10,000 level. I don't think that that's enough. We need to push him. I believe in full student loan debt cancellation, uh, but we have to push him to at the bare minimum, a floor of $50,000 that Senator Warren and Senator Schumer have um, have also advanced. The Democrats really are the party of selfishness and childish uh, behavior, I mean, which is why AOC is actually such a good spokesperson for the modern Democrat Party. Why she's so powerful, why she has the following that she does. $50,000, just just wipe it away. You got student loans, 50 grand, wipe it away. People that have, for the last 20 years, been paying off their student loans, too bad. Oh, you have mortgage debt? You have credit card debt? Nah, sorry. That's your problem. Oh, you, you had to run up credit card debt to pay for groceries or for, for 
for gas for your car to get to your job? Eh, you should have studied, you know, uh, gender studies of the Caribbean 1850 to 1950 at University of Who Gives a Crap, right? That, that, that's what you should have done. But, uh, you know, instead you got a job or you did you did things the way that you thought were responsible because they were. And, you know, you're, but you're not part of the uh, you're not part of the folks that are going to get all this all this government money thrown at them because that's what Democrats do try to find ways to take money from some and give it to others. Again, effective, just like politics of envy. Effective. You get power this way. But a lot of you out there that either didn't that paid off your student loans or didn't I you know, I didn't go to business school. I didn't get a master's degree. And I got into some of the, I mean, you know, humble brag, not a humble brag, just a brag. I got into some of the best business school programs in the world. I didn't go because I didn't want to run up 200 grand in student debt. I was a government employee before that. I didn't have any money. Oh, but now I, I could have run, uh, at least I could count on 50 grand, according to AOC, to get wiped away. <laughs> Man, I guess, you know, the government really is just a lottery system now. Some people win, some people lose, depending on what AOC thinks. Are they targeting Trump with a grand jury in New York? Question we have to look at. Now, that's what the reporting is saying. This is really interesting, really concerning, important stuff that I want to break down for you here. This is, again, all DailyMail.com. The grand jury will sit three times a week for the next six months in New York. We'll also weigh charges against other Trump organization executives. He has been accused of inflating values of his assets for tax benefits. He is facing two investigations into his business practices at the state level. Trump has denied all wrongdoing and says the probes are further examples of Democratic witch hunts. All right. This shows you what we are up against. In case you were wondering, in case there was any lingering doubt, which I doubt there was, but this should be a reminder to all of us of what it means to be a conservative leader in America today, a Republican politician, a man who created effectively a movement by running for office. Here he is now being targeted after leaving the Oval Office. No goodwill, no good faith from the other side. How many times have I come on air here and told you that the the only real motivating principle for the Democrat left, the only thing that binds all the different elements and interest groups and, and all the rest of it of the left together, which now is the Democrat Party, is the pursuit of power. Whatever they have to do, whatever they can do to that end, that is the deciding factor. Donald Trump is now living down in, in Mar-a-Lago, or I guess he's at Bedminster, he's in New York this week, whatever. He moves around a little bit, but he's basically in, in Mar-a-Lago for the wintertime. And he's a former president. He has been deplatformed, uh, deplatformed from Facebook, from Twitter, from these different very powerful tools that he used better than any Republican before him. There is no person to this day who was more effective on the right on Twitter than Donald J. Trump. And I was honored that there were so many times when he saw fit to retweet my Twitter account, which was always a 
an illuminating experience because of all the crazy Hollywood celebrities and and left wing pundits and people that would start attacking me. Oh, they, they all like to make fun of my name as if, ooh, you got me there, you know. And that you really won the argument with that one, but as we know, the left is full of childishness and uh, and stupidity. So none of that is none of that is surprising. All very aware of the way they operate. Um, but this now just goes to show you how much they play hardball. How much the other side of the aisle here will use power in very real ways, not in rhetorical terms. But at the end of the day, they will use the state, they will use the, the prosecutor's office to send men with guns to take you from your family and lock you in a cell for the crime of being a conservative, for being important to the conservative movement. Now, do I think that they will actually do this? Because this is the Rubicon, friends. Once they cross this... We are in a different political world. I mean, they've got to be joking. They're convening a grand jury here because they say Donald Trump inflated assets. Well, a lot of the time, the assets we're talking about here, whether it's his brand association or real estate, there's going to be some differentiation. There's going to be a sliding scale of people that think it has one value or it has another value. So, yeah, did did, did Trump probably err on the side of thinking his assets were worth more? Did he believe they were worth more? Sure. That wouldn't surprise me. You're going to bring a criminal charge against it? Notice, it's not even he may owe some back taxes. That's not what the story is. It's we want to to go after him for fraud. That's what they want everyone to take away from this. The fact that this would even be uh, leaked is so interesting, isn't it? A grand jury is supposed to be secret, as you know. Grand jury proceedings are not public, so why are there leaks? Oh, we all know why. Because this district attorney in New York is a Democrat hack pretending to be an even-handed prosecutor. Cy Vance wants to be a I-get-a-big-book deal I'm on the boards of lots of companies and I'm be- and I'm beloved at liberal cocktail parties guy when all said and done. And he knows that even going after Donald Trump in this way makes him a hero to the left. Oh, they'll say he's being brave. That's one of the great things about being a leftist. You get to do what benefits you, what appeases and pleases the mob. And then act like you're a hero for doing it. How many times have you seen, even on a, on a college campus, you know, some student will stand up to shout at a conservative speaker on a campus and everyone in the room erupts in praise and they'll say, oh, that person's so brave. Yes, it's so brave to chant what the mob wants you to, to do what they demand of you. That's really brave, isn't it? Donald Trump was a president that the left will never forgive. They won't forgive us for voting for him, and they will not forgive him for the four years he put them through, for holding the mirror up to the corporate media, showing what a bunch of frauds, what a bunch of fakes they are, for taking the fight to the other side, for showing that conservatism could be something that was a cultural phenomenon too, 
Young people were excited to go out with their MAGA hats on and go to Trump rallies. Trump expanded the Republican Party with unprecedented numbers of of minority, uh, particularly black and Latino voters coming out for him relative to GOP norms. So there's a lot about him that they hate, but they always took it personally. They viewed Trump as someone who betrayed his class. He betrayed the elites by running the campaign he did, by saying the things he did about them, by showing us all that the emperor had no clothes. He became the emperor and then said, look, you can say I don't have clothing, but none of those other guys did either. It's really all a charade, this D.C. thing. It's a farce and and not a good one. And now they want payback. Now they want to go after him. This was leaked. It was leaked to smear Trump. This, for all the Trump haters out there, for all the Democrats that still believe that he colluded with Russia or any number of other absurd things that are said. For all those people, this is a vindication of sorts. Oh, they're thinking about prosecuting him. But just remember that Donald Trump here went through two, in one term, two impeachment proceedings, a special counsel, so many different, you know, efforts in the media to create a narrative of him as a traitor, uh, as a rapist, as a as a thief, as a criminal, as you know, just you go down the list as a white nationalist. They they threw all this stuff at him. And just the fact that he made it through four years was a repudiation of their ability to set the narrative and determine the agenda. Right. They want the power to be able to destroy someone when the corporate media and the Democrat Party decides that somebody must be ruined. Nobody can withstand that because then it's like when a when somebody stands up to a mafia don. Right. If you can get away with it, other people might think the same thing. If Trump is able to endure all that they threw at him and so far he's been able to. I know he didn't win a second term. But they weren't able to to get him removed from office and he beat them in 2016 soundly and left a movement left make America great again as a rallying cry for the right. If Trump could endure all they threw at him, other people, Ron DeSantis, you name it, other other Republicans could come forward here and say that they could also withstand it all. They could be in a position to take all the slings and arrows of the left. They can't have that. That would then hurt their power, which, as we've already discussed, is the single most important thing to Democrats in all cases. So what do they do now? They're deciding whether they're going to convene. I'm sorry, whether they're going to indict to bring formal charges via the grand jury against Donald Trump. Former And notice this is a state level, so there won't be any pressure on Biden to for the sake of, you know, political uh, harmony. Not that that's a thing, really, but for the sake of uh, political continuity. Remember, we had uh, you had, you know, Ford after after uh, Nixon, Um, there'll be a, a push for Biden to pardon if it was a federal charge. Not that Biden would, as I've said, but at least there would be some. But this takes it entirely out of Biden's hands. This is entirely this is a state function. They'll bring charges in New York against him. 
I'd like to think they won't do this. But the Democrat base, I mean, just because not not that they're above it, but they would have to understand at some level how politically uh, ruinous this would be to any sense of unity and any sense of, of a shared uh, you know, American political stability between Democrats and Republicans. This would be not a shot across the bow. It would be a a barrage right into the bow. And. I would like to think that they're not so vicious and reckless that they would do this, but I can't I can't say they won't. How could I say that the people who lied about Russia collusion for for four years are unwilling to sully themselves in this way, go to this level? How could I believe that the people who sent dozens of men to arrest Roger Stone at 5 a.m. with a CNN crew watching to maximize the humiliation, long guns drawn like they were arresting Pablo Escobar in the 90s. They didn't arrest him, they shot him. But how could I think those kinds of people wouldn't be willing to bring criminal charges against a former president for inflating and inflating the worth of his assets for tax benefits? They're sending the IRS, in a sense, after Trump. That's the game the Democrats play. Don't ever forget that in recent days, Elizabeth Warren, Senator Warren, former presidential candidate for Massachusetts, has made it clear she thinks that this tripling of IRS agents as part of the Biden infrastructure plan is a great idea. Why do you think Democrats love the IRS so much? Is it really? Yes, it's that they want more revenue, which means taking more of your money. They want higher taxes, more taxes, more of your money to spend. They know how to spend your money better than you do. Don't you know that? Democrats are convinced of it. But then again, there's a whole other level. And we remember from the Obama years, and this is just a replay of all the Obama strategies with Biden at the helm instead of Obama. The targeting of the Tea Party by Lois Lerner and the IRS. The IRS is a fearsome weapon to be used by Democrats in partisan warfare. Who's going to want to be the person who speaks out? Who's going to want to be the conservative who's in the crosshairs of a of an engorged, a, a newly uh, funded, enlarged IRS? Who's going to want to be the person that has to worry about that? Even if you're right and they have nothing on you, think of all the lost nights of sleep and all the all the expense and all the exhaustion, the anxiety you go through. Better to just go along. Better to not get treated like Trump, a former president. This is how they do their business. We sit around on the right and say, oh, but what about what about this historical precedent? Or wait, I, I see. I think we're being too rough with the other side. And we get lectures from Sass and Romney and Kinzinger and other jackasses. But they say. Let's try to throw a former president in prison for some trumped up, pardon the phrase, nonsense. That's what they say. That's what they come at us with. And we have to respond with the full recognition of the severity of this act if they go forward with it. I can't say I'm I can't say it's inevitable in my mind. But I cannot tell, tell you by the same token, I can't tell you they won't bring a criminal charge against Trump here. It's looking more likely, and that's the whole point, isn't it?
Well, we're not going to get to roll call today. We'll definitely get into some of it tomorrow, but we'll have a, a, a lengthy roll call later on this week for sure. So send us your thoughts at uh, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or email us at teambuck at iheartmedia.com. You can also send us a direct message on uh, Instagram. Uh, so we always like hearing from you all, all there. Please follow me there if you're not already. And this is where we... Check in with our buddy, Producer Mark, and see what's going on. What is going on in Producer Mark world? Uh, not much, as usual, Buck. You keep coming to me for do? stuff. Like, I don't, what, what, I don't do anything. What yeah. is your day like? When, when this show is done, what kind of things do you do? Honestly, uh, uh, I'm going to be very candid with the audience for a moment. See, my wife still isn't here during the week. As you know, we still haven't moved yet. So I just go play video games, and then I watch the Mets or whatever sports are on at night. That's basically my life now. That's kind of nice. Yeah, it sounds really nice, but when you do it every day, it just gets mind-numbingly boring. What are the video games you're into these days? Usually, I'm just playing NHL, or uh, I just rotate to the the sports games. Ah, see, I yeah. just played The Last of Us, which was a wreck from somebody on Team Buck from a long time ago. It's it's very much like a uh, what's that uh, Walking Dead? It's very much like a Walking Dead ripoff, but hmm. as as a video game. But it's really it's a really good gameplay experience, I will say. Um, and I was then even going to get the second one, which is The Last of Us Two. But I, I've I've been told that it's very social justicey, and there's all kinds of stuff. There's all kinds of stuff in there, so I'm probably gonna probably not gonna get too into that. But the only sports game that I play on PS4 is the um, FIFA game. What's the best PS4 sports game? I would say NHL is usually the top one. Could I play it even if somebody doesn't really understand or know much about hockey? Oh, yeah. That was a thing we did in college all the time. Even our friends that didn't like hockey at all would love the video game. I will have to check this out. Yeah. So there, maybe, maybe we can join like a co-op thing where I play with you, too, you know? Oh, I think you are the one person in the world I could probably beat. Well, there we go. We'll huh. see about that there, uh, wise guy. We'll see about that. Everybody, let us know your thoughts. Please write into the Buck Saxton Show. Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. Facebook message, send us Facebook message, tell us segments you want to hear from, guests you want more of, or maybe less of, but more of, hopefully. Until tomorrow, Shields High.